0: welcome to church 213 we're so glad you're listening to our sermon series titled identity theft where pastor ryan will be encouraging us to find our identity in the truth of god's word and not in the feelings of the world thanks for listening Good morning, everybody. <clears throat> hey, I hope you uh, in way of reminder that um, as you came up the drive this morning, you saw those flags and what we have an opportunity to do in this room every Sunday uh, did not come free. It, it came at a very high price, a very high price. Uh, and this is the day that we, um, that we just celebrate the, um, the sacrifice that was made. Uh, it, it, kind of, it kind of gets me sideways a little bit that mattress stores throw big Memorial Day sales um, because I think it's, it's, a, it's, a day, it's a somber day. It's a day to think about why we live in the greatest nation in the world. It's because of God's hand of favor, because of our submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ and the foundation to which that's built. And that does not come cheap. And that is still under attack uh, even today. Um, and so, I, I just encourage you, um, as, as most Sabbath days should be, to just use this as a day of reflection. Just as you go out of the drive, ask the Lord to remind you, wow, this is what this day is all about. It's for those men and women that, um, that did give the very greatest, ultimate sacrifice on some of the most difficult situations that we will never, most of us, will never be able to comprehend and we're a military family, and so daily, you know, there, 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 there's, there's, there's the thought daily in our mind, oh, are we going to get that call, oh, are we going to get that text, that something uh, tragic has happened because of someone that laid down the life for the love of the other. And what we have an opportunity to do here today is to praise the one that did just that. There's no love greater than the one that will lay down his life for another. A thousand hallelujahs, Amen. And so that's what we have opportunity to do. I've chosen to, um, to end our identity theft series in the book of Joshua this morning. So that's where we're going to be. It's on your sermon guide, Joshua chapter 3. Uh, and the reason that I've, I've, I've ended our identity series, and we've been hammering pretty hard for the past 10 weeks, anchoring down in who we are in Christ. Doctrine and ethics is my focus as your pastor. Who in the world are we and why does that matter for us? And so we've anchored down in the identity of Christ, and so we're ending that this morning in the book of Joshua. And the reason that the book of Joshua is so important for us is because it's a wonderful example of how believers use identity to move into the unknowns of life with victory. With victory. And when you think about the word victory, it's a powerful word. But the word loses its emphasis from time to time. Victory means to to overcome an enemy or an achievement of mastery in a struggle against the odds. Victory. Let's say that together, church. One, two, three. Victory. That was weak, okay? One, two, three. Victory. That word word has power when you get the context of it. And if we're going to have victory over Satan... Stealing God's glory from our lives and ripping us off, as we've said multiple times through this series, we have to be properly positioned as we move into tomorrow. And that proper position comes from a true identity. Identity theft. And so what we find in Joshua 3, let me just give you some background. Joshua 3 takes place in the death of Moses. So there's this grand handoff. From Moses to Joshua. The, the people of Israel had come out of Egypt to this point, And they've stalled out in the wilderness. Because of disobedience. They spent the, four, the last 40 years. Getting a hard knock life refresher course. On who they were. On their identity. See they were supposed to be. Brilliant billboards to exemplify the power of God on earth. That's who they were supposed to be. But not so long after parting the Red Sea, they completely forgot and abandoned their identity. And what we see them doing is they begin to drift away from God as soon as life got tough. Man, that should be written for 2022 for believers, isn't it? We face a little fire. We're like, I'm out. I'm out of here. So you would think an entire generation of people wandering 40 years would have covered a lot of land. But they didn't. You know, if you think about that area, the the Sinai Peninsula, Peninsula it's really not that big. It's 130 miles by 240 miles long. It's between Egypt and Israel. It's about the size of West Virginia. Imagine just traveling 40 years in just that small space. That's a lot of U-turns. Please make a legal U-turn, safe and legal. Legal U-turn. They made a lot of those. Y'all with me? And when you think of wilderness, if you look at the Old Testament, the wilderness is not like our wilderness. The Hebrew word for Old, Te- Old Testament for for a wilderness means isolated place. So don't think, okay, this is this is um, you know pine trees and, and this is rivers and, and this is flowers and this is Bambi and Thumper That's not the type of wilderness that we're dealing with here. The wilderness that they're in, it's it's uh it's dry, it's it's um it's mountainous, it's it's arid, it's tough, it's it's a struggle. It's not a place they were intended to be very long. They were just supposed to pass through. 11-day journey. 11-day journey turns into 40 years. So the question for us is, is why? It's because it boils down to a lost identity. God's people had found themselves isolated. They found themselves immobile. They found themselves frustrated to God's purpose because they didn't take their identity to heart. And through Moses, God told them, over over. And over and over who they were. But they did not believe it enough to live it out daily. And so 11 day journey. Keeps them stuck. For 40 unnecessary years. And this is important for us. Because as we end our series. I want nothing more. Than our church. To, for you to grasp your identity in Christ. If you're a Christ follower. And use that identity to move on where you need to be. Stop being stuck in a rut. You know what a rut is? It's a gray with two ends knocked out. That's where they were. God keeps his promises. That's where they were. That's who they were. That's where they were. That's where that's who they were. But that's not who God was. God keeps his promises. And what he's about to do is he's about to move this new generation forward by his very own hands. Because he was already at there tomorrow to God be the glory. He was there. But man, this was uncharted waters. And you know as well as I do, uncharted waters are scary. Anytime you step into that place, not being able to see what's going on, not being able to know what, what is on the, around the corner or on the next page, it can be terrifying, Right? We were at a birthday party yesterday <clears throat> for my niece. She turned seven and, and all of her friends were there. And and there was this one little guy that it was his turn at the pinata, because that's always a good idea, right? Seven-year-olds with a you know. And so they put this blindfold around him, and what we discovered is is he'd never participated in a pinata before. And he'd never worn a blindfold before. And he was about the fourth or fifth little guy to go. So he knew the drill. They were, they, were, they were spinning in circles and they were missing at this piñata that was filled with candy and mama didn't raise a fool. So when he gets up there, they put the piñata, they put the blindfold around him and he holds the stick and they're spinning him around and they're like, okay, on three you go, one, two, three. And he holds the stick with his left hand and using his right finger, he pulls the blindfold up <laughs> and he goes, whack. And I thought, that makes so much sense. No one told him that that's part of the game. What he knows is, why am I wearing this blindfold? There's candy there. Duh. And he just pulls it right up. He, he refused just to go through the motions. He, he, he refused to be trapped by uncertainty of what was going on for tomorrow. He knew what was up. Why, why are you putting this on my eyes? But here's the problem. That's what the enemy wants to do through stealing our identity. He wants to blind us so that he can steal God's glory from us so that we can continue to go in circles, which should be from, from a very straight point, point A to point B. But we wander day after day and year after year. And we get to the point of our lives where we're like, I have not made any progress for the cause of Christ. What happens there? Is the enemy has stolen your identity in Christ. But here's what I want you to know. The moment that little guy pulled up that blindfold. He had confidence. To swing for the fences. And when you have confidence. You can face anything. Of tomorrow. Amen. If you you know. If you know you have confidence. You feel like you can keep moving. No matter what comes next. So my question is. What would you be willing to do, church? Where would you be willing to go? What would you be willing to face if you knew God was at your tomorrow? Anything, right? Anything. The sky is the limit. And I'm here to tell you this morning, as an identity in Christ, He is at your tomorrow. So we need to pull the blindfold off, see who we are in Christ, and move on in victory. Y'all write this down. It's on your sermon note. A confident identity creates a boldness for uncharted waters. That'll preach right there. It is, actually. It's about to for another hour and a half. That's, I mean, when you, when you grasp that, A confident identity creates a boldness for uncharted waters. See, the position we put ourselves in is the hinge that his presence hangs on. And that's what a right identity in Christ gives a believer. A confident position to move forward. And I'm telling you this morning, you can go on. Keep moving forward. Don't give up. Just keep swimming. We say that a lot in our house. Just keep moving. Because in Christ, we have to keep moving. Because what we see in our text and what we see in our lives through a thousand hallelujahs is he's at our tomorrow. We can't can't see his hand. We can trust his heart. So let's stand together. Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3. The title of the message this morning is I'm perfectly positioned for victory. I'm perfectly positioned for victory. Joshua chapter 3. Starting in verse 1. Joshua started early the next morning. And he left the Acacia Grove with all the Israelites. And they went as far as the Jordan and stayed there before crossing. And after three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God carried by the Levitical priest, you were to break camp and you were to follow it. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between yourself and the ark don't go near it so that you can see the way to go for you haven't traveled this way before Joshua told the people consecrate yourselves because the Lord will do wonders among you when tomorrow and then he said to the priests you carry the ark of the covenant and you go on ahead of the people so they carry the ark of the covenant and went ahead of them. The Lord spoke to Joshua in verse 7. Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel. So they will know that I will be with you. Just as I was with Moses. Command the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the edge of the water. You stand in the Jordan. Verse 9. Then Joshua told the Israelites. Come closer. and Listen to the words of the Lord your God. And he said you will know. That the living God is among you, and that He will certainly dispossess before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, and the bites. I like that one. When the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of the whole earth goes ahead of you into the Jordan, now choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man for each tribe. When the feet of the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of the whole earth, come to rest in the Jordan's waters, its water will be cut off. The water flowing downstream will stand up in a mass. Verse 14. It's getting good. And when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carried the ark of the covenant ahead of the people Now the Jordan overflows its banks throughout the harvest season. This 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 water was high. It looked impossible. But as soon as the priests carrying the ark reached the Jordan, their feet touched the water at its edge. And the water flowing downstream stood still, rising up in a mass that extended as far as Adam at the city of Zarathan. The water flowing downstream into the Sea of Uh, Arabah, the Dead Sea, was completely cut off and the people crossed opposite Jericho. Verse 17, The priest carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood firmly on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel crossed on dry ground until the entire nation had finished crossing the Jordan. Wow! Glory to God. You guys can be seated. Why don't Hollywood make a film about this? I'd go see it. I'd buy you a ticket. If we're talking about properly positioning ourselves for victory, we know our identity. We have this entire series digitally. You can see Pastor Don for that free resource. We can get it to you. It's online. We stream it everywhere. For the past nine weeks, we've been laying out who we are in Christ, if you're in Christ as a Christian. So how do we take that identity and how do we move forward? Well, from Joshua 3, we notice some things. There are requirements for moving with confidence into tomorrow. If you're going to be confident, there's some requirements to build that confidence. To face the unknowns of tomorrow. We have to position ourselves in the right places. God's people were positioned in the right places. Joshua lays this out. See, here's the thing. There has to be a move toward the things of God. That's on your notes. There has to be... If you're going to get the requirements for moving with confidence into tomorrow, there needs to be a move toward the things of God. It's a repositioning. Y'all with me? Look at verse 1. Joshua started early in the morning and left the Acacia Grove with all the Israelites. They went as far as the Jordan and stayed there before crossing. After three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God, Covenant of the Lord, your God, carried by the Levitical priests, you are to break camp and you were to follow it. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between yourself and the Ark. Don't go near it so that you can see the way to go. Why? For you haven't traveled this way before. See, here's what's significant. They've had possession of the covenant for 40 years. The Ark of the Covenant, this Ark. They've held it, and it's hardly ever mentioned. But right here in Joshua, in this chapter, it's mentioned nine times. What's the difference? Well, here's the difference. The difference is that Israel had gone from simply possessing possessing the ark, which is having access to it, to actually positioning the ark, letting it lead. Y'all with me? There's a a significant change right here toward the things of God. See, there's a difference between having Christ as Savior and having Christ as Lord. One is about possession. The other is about position. Position. One is, about, one is about having that pinata stick. The other one is about knowing what you're going to do with it. See, that's, that's, that's what, you know, if you think about a football team, a football team can have possession of the ball, but if they can't move the ball forward into a new position, they can't experience victory. And so basically, Joshua was telling these people, hey, it is time to move, it's time to go. And I'm telling you, church, it is time for, for some of you to make a move somewhere. It is time for us to make, to make a move. The evil abounds. I hate the world we live in. Evil abounds. Y'all, you know, Pastor Dom made reference to it. We are, we are stuck in the wilderness in America. We are, this world is a wilderness place And I want you to know that that policy is not going to change the rage of a broken heart. Only the living, risen Savior can do that. Amen? And I'm going to tell you, it starts in the camp. That's where it starts. It doesn't start on Capitol Hill, it starts inside of my house, and it starts inside of your house. It's not going to start at the White House, it's going to start in this house, is what I'm saying. We are the instruments of change for the world, we are the billboards of grace to the world. And the Bible says that when they get ready to break camp and to move and to cause change that the the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord would lead the way. The Ark of the Covenant it it was a visual reminder that catch this that God would personally lead them in to the promised land. We were out and about yesterday with the girls and there was crowds around and without even thinking about it subconsciously, Sadie was reaching for my hand. You know why? Because she couldn't see over the crowd. She couldn't see into the future. All she knew is the one that was standing next to her, her daddy, had the ability to see what she couldn't see. The Israelites had the Ark of the Covenant and the Ark was God's evidence that his hand was right there leading them into a place that he just said, hey, you're going to break camp and you're going to follow me and we're about to make a move. But you need to let me follow. The Bible says they followed the Ark which was out in front of them at a distance of 2,000 cubits. And they say, Pastor, what's a cubit? Isn't that the little angel that round Valentine's that shoots people with arrows? No, that's cupid. I say cubit. What is a cubit? Well, a cubit is the distance between the tip of your finger to your elbow. So y'all hold it up like this. Everybody has two cubits. It's about 18 inches, a cubit. And so 2,000 cubits would be about 13,000 feet or 1,000 yards or about 10 football fields. So to visualize, the Ark of the Covenant was out above, beyond the Israelites' 10 football fields. It's out there, but they can see it. I don't want you to miss this. Before they could take another step, they had to keep their eyes out in front on the Lord, constantly, He's out there. You just you just keep looking out there. See, when you try to when you try to micromanage every move of God, you're going to be. What will happen is you'll begin to question the steps that you're taking. This I'm going somewhere here. I think this is significant. See, you can't move freely if you're constantly worrying about what's under your feet, can't you? This you know your your, your visual changes from out there to a thousand hallelujahs, to God's faithfulness, and you begin to be isolated and you begin to look down and and, and your eyes are are not fixed on God who's already out ahead of you, you start looking here. And why that's important is when when you fix your tomorrow on the glory of God, the steps that you take will automatically be ordered for you. When you look out there and you know what God called you to do out there and you look at his promises out there and you just move and you position yourself to the things of God, he will order your step. When your mind is fixed on moving toward the things that are pleasing and when your mind is ordered and fixed on the things that is holy to the Lord, you don't have to worry about every little move you make. You just move forward and you let God handle your path. That's the words of the Lord. Proverbs 16.9 Proverbs 16.9 tells us this. A person's heart plans his way but the Lord determines his steps. If your heart is to please and honor and serve the king and that is your goal out here he will order the individual steps you take. You'll be walking in his will. If you keep your eyes out there, you'll have victory. One of the things I love doing in the summer is, is hunting doves. I love a good dove shoot. I love it. I love being on a dove field. I like the camaraderie. I like the banter back and forth. You know, I like to, I like to hear guys around me in different blinds say, "Low over you! I'm like, oh, what in the world? I love it. You, you, there's, just, there's just something about a group of people staring around. You know, I, li- I like the challenge of, of having to be ready at all times because you never know when those little, one of those little filet mignons of the sky is going to fly over you like a bullet and you're going you're gonna to squeeze off a few rounds and then watch it go away from you and give you a wink. I'm convinced, I'm convinced they give you a wink. I love it. But one of the least favorite things I like to do is to hit one and watch it fall in some high grass. See, on a dove field, typically <clears throat> it's cut clean, but every now and then you'll, they'll, 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 you'll cut strips of high grass and you'll leave tiny strips for cover and then around the edge of the field. Is there any dove hunters in here? am I just speaking Greek. All right, I'm going to speak it anyway because I like it. Okay. So around the edge of the field, you know, you have all of these trees. You have all of this high grass. And so what happens is when a bird comes over, if you hit it, it may be 30 yards above you. But by the time it lands, it could be 60 yards away from you. The distance between the dove line is significant between where it fell and where you shot. And I want you to know this. If you want to make sure that you never find that bird you take your eye off of where you saw it fall. Am I, am I telling the truth? The moment you take your eye off the place you saw that, that bird last is the moment you forfeit your chance for a dove gravy supper. You say, well, pastor, why, what's the point? Why, why, do you, why do you lock your eyes on it? Because it's impossible to walk to an exact spot over a long distance when all the grass looks the same. See, if you begin to walk toward where you think it went, but your focus is right in front of you, what will happen is you'll look up and you'll realize you're in the wrong place. And so here's what I do. I hear someone yell out. I may hear Ben say, Over you! I'm like, Okay, thanks. Shoot, hit, it falls. What I will do is I will close my left eye. I will point with my right eye. And I'll point at it, and I won't take my eye off of that spot. No matter what's going on in the blind, no matter what's going on around me, no matter what I have to track through, briars or high grass or whatever, I am not taking my eye off that spot because I know as soon as I do, I'm going to lose focus on what's out in front of me and I'm going to be entangled about what's here. And there are times where you have to step over things and you have to slide through things and you have to go around things, but you don't take your eye off of what is out there because if you do, you will find yourself going in a circle, going in a circle, and you're not going to get the victory. What Paul was telling Timothy, 2 Timothy was the last letter Paul wrote to Timothy. He was a prisoner in chains. He was about to lose his life for the gospel. This is his last will and testament to one of the young leaders of the church. And this is what he tells him 2 Peter chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 says this. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in sufferings as good soldiers in Christ. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to Please, the commanding officer, King Jesus. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. He has it. It's out there. He knows where he's going. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to get a share of the crops. He's out there. He's planting it. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. What Paul is telling Timothy is, don't you keep your eye off the prize. Don't you keep your eye off the harvest. Don't you keep, don't you keep your eye off of the, uh, of the battle, of the victory that's been won because as soon as you get entangled and entrapped by the things of this world by looking down, trying to micromanage where you are stepping for the Lord, you'll lose focus on the prize. And that's exactly what the Israelites failed to do. They lost their priorities. You ever told someone you need to get your priority straight? That's basically what was being said to them. Get ready to move. Get your priority straight because you've been entangled for 40 years. Stop looking down. If we want to experience the wonder of God in our lives, and I pray that you do, or your marriages, or our families, And for our children, we've got to position as many things as possible around the things of God and keep moving. Keeping your identity on Christ is going to let your feet land where they need to land. And I love the end of verse 4. Look at verse 4, it says this. But you keep a distance of about a thousand yards between yourself and the ark. And don't go near it so that you can see the way to go. If you haven't just traveled this way before. You haven't traveled this way before. So don't go near it so that you can see the way to go for you haven't traveled this way before. When I saw that, I'm like, what? Why, why, would they, why would they not want to get near to God? And this is it. Because they would be tempted to grab onto it and control it for themselves. If they got right there by the ark, they would would begin to, out of human nature, they would begin to try to take a route that God didn't intend them to take. And God knew as soon as they came close to the priest, the burden of having to make the perfect step would now fall on them. They would be taking control of their future themselves and they would be entangled. They'd start looking down instead of letting God lead. So he's like, don't, don't get too close to it. Don't take over. Don't take back the promises of God. Just trust Him and get moving. And Why should they trust Him? Because God had already proven He could lead. A thousand hallelujahs. We'll give you a thousand more. I see the evidence of His goodness. Amen, church? God has already proven to us He can lead. Why are we trying to get so close and take life back over into ourselves? Let him lead. See, the Israelites, they would have understood that when the ark passed through the camp, that he could lead because they knew what was in that ark. This is what the ark looked like right here. Here's a picture of it. Fancy. So, what you have is, is you have this rectangular shape, and on the top of the lid, that was, called, that was called the mercy seat. And then overlaid, the whole thing was gold. It had four rings of gold that held these poles that, that they would use to, to carry the ark. And inside of that, you had some items that represented the, the, the glory of God. On the top, there was two cherubs that was looking over the mercy seat. And really what the cherubs would do is it was a beautiful display that the Holy of Holies right there, the cherubs were were overlooking what was a seat of failure. It was a seat of reminder. Because this thing would sit in the Holy of Holies of the tabernacle and then when they built the temple it went in there. It represented where God's presence would be. See, This Ark of the Covenant went from being in the tabernacle to being in the field. It was something they could use. See, God is not interested in in being put on the shelf of our lives on average. The average person attends corporate worship 1.8 times a month. God is interested in us taking Him to the field. Right? Putting it into action. And inside of that thing, inside of that thing, remember, it was it was items that represented that you can trust God. He is already ahead of you, he is worthy to be praised, and you can be trust him. You can, he can be trusted. Inside of this thing were jars of manna. And manna is what God gave the Israelites to eat. He met their provisions. And so as they were moving, they took some of that as a reminder. They put it in the ark. It was proof. That God's covenant was permanent. It was proof that God would sustain them daily. Also, when there was Aaron's rod. Aaron's rod was proof that God had no rival. Remember, Aaron's rod is what Moses used when he went to Pharaoh. Pharaoh. And I don't know if you realize it, but every one of the ten plagues represented a false god that that Pharaoh and the Egyptians were worshiping. And so every time that rod said, you have no rival. The great I am is here and you have to bow. Aaron's rod was the one that turned the snake into a snake at Pharaoh's court. It was Aaron's rod that gave that, that God used to turn the water of Egypt into blood. It was Aaron's rod that was, that was a reminder that God does not put up with rebellion against His chosen representatives on earth. Aaron's rod was in there. Also, the Ten Commandments were in there. They were proof that God's covenant was permanent. Whew, thank goodness. Don't let go of me, Lord. Lord. And then on the top was the mercy seat. This is what was out in front of them. Y'all with me? It's just sitting in some box. They just pounded out of of, of precious material. This thing had significance. This thing had had evidence. This thing had the presence of God. This thing had a picture of God's faithfulness. And on the top of that, swing back to that ark, on the top of that thing was this this lid. It It was the mercy seat. And what's significant about the mercy seat was it was proof that a, that a personal relationship with God is possible. That was the point of the mercy seat. Because in the Holy of Holies, when they were at the tabernacle, moving through the wilderness, their, their makeshift church, that seat was significant. Because that's where God's Shekinah glory, Shekinah glory means to dwell or to rest on. That's, That's where access to God would fall. Right there on the lid, on that mercy seat. Why is it called the mercy seat? It was called the mercy seat because it was a judgment seat. And those two angels were actually looking down uh, on the emblems of failure. And Joshua said, hey, you keep your eyes on that. That thing is going to be a ten football fields away from you. You keep your eyes on that because it is a reminder of all that God has done and all that 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 will do as we cross into tomorrow and into uncharted waters. You're going to enter into a land laced with evil, but full of God's promise. You keep your eye on that. And what I want to show you this morning is that is a picture of Jesus. That is a picture of Jesus for us Christ is where to fix our eyes on because everything that the Israelites were looking forward to following, we can look back on in the cross. It's a picture of Christ. Well, how how is that a picture of Christ, Pastor? Well, the manna shows us that in Christ, we have our greatest spiritual needs met, forgiveness in Christ. The rod shows us the power of the resurrection. Dead things come into life. The Ten Commandments show us only in Christ can we keep the standard. We couldn't keep the standard, so God had to send the standard. We missed the mark. The Ten Commandments are there. And then you have this mercy seat. Man, it represents the pardon of Christ. Mercy is ours. We've been set free. See, if the things of God aren't in the proper position, I'm going to tell you, you mark it down. You're going to be entangled with the traps of this life. So the question for you this morning is, what are you focusing on? What, what is your focus for the future? Are you looking here, being entangled? Or do you have your identity locked in your heart so so you're focusing on what Christ has done and what Christ wants to do from the inside to the outside where are you pointing because a move toward the things of God will position you to move into tomorrow with with confidence in a Christian identity that's the beauty so they're getting ready to break camp he's like all right, here we go we're getting ready to move You guys need to position your eyes to the things of God. Move your life to the things of God. And then he says something else. He's like, you've got to move toward purity. It's the salt and pepper. It's the PB&J. It's the Batman and the Robin. Y'all with me? The two go hand in hand. He said, yeah, we've got to make a move toward the things of God, but you also have to move toward purity. Look at verse 5. Joshua told the people consecrate yourselves because the Lord will do wonders among you tomorrow. Then he said to the priests you carry the ark of the covenant and you go on ahead of the people. So they carried the ark of the covenant and went ahead of them. So it's a it's a it's a partnership as the faithfulness of God moved into position so they could have confidence in tomorrow, they had something to do as the ark went out. They had to consecrate themselves. They had to make spiritual preparations for divine manifestations. He told them, hey, we're about to get moving, but before we get moving, we got to take care of some business in here. Before you expect God to do something over there, you have to make sure that you are prepared to receive it in here. Consecrate simply means to make clean, to make right, and to make holy. He said, you put away anything... That could limit access to my presence. Because you're going to need some 20 vision for what you're about to see. I don't want you to miss it. That's what he's saying. What you're about to see is going to knock your socks off. But unless you consecrate and purify and position yourself to see it, you're not going to see it. And I really believe that God is moving around us. He is doing miraculous things in our midst. We just don't have the vision to see it. Because we have clouded vision. We're entangled by the things of this world, so we're distracted. So he's like, hey, get yourself together. Get your house in order. Get your ducks in a row. Check your heart. And that's a challenge for us to consecrate ourselves daily. And I'm so thankful that we have a chance to do that every day. His mercies are new every morning. Every day is another day to get it right. What I'm saying is stop watering things in your life that have no business growing. That's what I'm saying. Y'all with me? Stop watering it. Y'all write this down. Ignore God's promptings when He's telling you what not to do affects His voice when He's asking you what to do or when you're asking Him what to do. Ignoring God's promptings when He's telling you what not to do affects His voice when we're asking Him what to do. Most people wouldn't dream of visiting the White House, nope. not being as, per, most, a, a, as not being as presentable as possible. I mean, you'd buy the good hair gel. You'd heavy starch. You'd polish your sh- You with me because it's a place of authority. You would look your very best. There's no times I look, I look worse than, than about three hours of doing yard work. There's no way that I would go step into the presence of the president after weed eating for an hour and a half. What in the world? How much more should we prepare spiritually to encounter the divine presence of God when we're asking him to show up and show out and do something? See, if you're going to be a force for kingdom work, you've got to be a you've got to be a, a clean vessel that he finds liberty to invade and to engage for his good purposes. That's how you move into tomorrow with victory. You, you, you purify your position today. That's how you make that move. And so a great prayer to pray, and it's a prayer that I pray in the mornings, is, God, the places I lost yesterday to selfishness and shortcomings. God, thank you, Lord, for putting me under conviction and loving me enough to show you my failures And I'm sorry, Lord, for being disobedient. Forgive me and help me to make another good run today. That is how we properly position ourselves every day under the word of God so that we can have hope for tomorrow. So, yeah, we have to move toward the things of God. We have to purify ourselves. So what we see there is that's the requirements. But it's a narrow path. Y'all with me? And few will find it. Few will do the requirements. Most will be entangled and just go in circles and wonder why God's not faithful. Why they're not seeing God do stuff in their life. Those are the requirements. But praise God that <clears throat> Joshua doesn't leave them right there. He lays out the requirements. But then what he does is he gives them, he gives them, he gives them reasons to move with confidence. That's the requirements. We've got it. Then he gives them the reasons. Here's what you must prepare to do, but here's what you can expect after you do it. Here's how you hold the stick to the pinata. That's it. But but the reasons that you can move with confidence is you can peek Because you've moved toward the things of God and you've consecrated yourself, you can peek out from under the fear and you can know that inside of that piñata is some really good candy. I'm not saying you follow the Lord to get candy. That's not my point. What I'm saying is, in order to receive the good things of God, there are requirements before you make that move into tomorrow. And He gives us the reasons. There's some really good reasons to serve the Lord, church. There, it is, there are some sweet blessings. There's, to, to, to taste and see the goodness of God, y'all, it's worth it. It's worth it to keep your eyes on what God has done and, and to avoid the traps and the snares of this life, and they are there. I'm telling you, it's worth it. And that's what Joshua was telling the Israelites. That y'all, it's worth it. He lays it out. Look at verse 6. Then he said to the priests, you carry the Ark of the Covenant. You go on ahead of the people. So they carried the Ark of the Covenant and they went on ahead of them. The Lord spoke to Joshua. Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel. It's about to give him street cred. So they will know. But it's not about Joshua, see. So they will know that I will be with you just as I was with Moses. So command the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the edge of the water, you stand in the Jordan. See, what we see from verse 5 is the reasons he wanted them to be properly positioned. I want you to be properly positioned. I want your families to thrive. I want your marriage to be the garden that everybody in the community envies. I want your children not just to be good children, but to be godly adults. They are leaving at some point. At least they should be. You are sharpening them, the arrows of your quiver you quiver, you are sharpening them and you will let them loose. There are reasons to properly position ourselves now for out there, because tomorrow will come. And there are there are there are two words that I want to point out that happens when we when we have to. Properly position and purify for victory. Here's what's going on. Jo- Joshua was telling the Israelites, hey, you line up and you clean up because the glory of a God is about to show up and show out. And that's what we want. That's what he's telling them. So he's like, hey, before that happens, here's what you do. But, but when you do that, do this because he can direct us through uncharted paths. Right there. That right there. Is the reason for moving with confidence into tomorrow so that He can direct us in its uncharted paths? You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Tomorrow is an uncharted path. And so, if you're going to move into it with confidence in your identity in Christ, you need His direction. And there's some people in here this morning that brought an uncharted path in this room. Like, Pastor. I'm headed somewhere and I have no idea what this is going to look like. You've never been this way before. Amen? They've never been this way before. And you're gripped by fear because of the unknown. But let me remind you, God is already there waiting. You just have to position yourself to see it. Position yourself to a place that you have a personal You have, you have a you have a you you so have a personal relationship that you can hear Abba Daddy in that uncharted water, in that tomorrow. There was this little girl that was caught in a fire. The fire was on the 10-story building and she was on the tenth floor. She could make her way to the window, but she couldn't see anything. And she felt the heat. She smelled the smoke. And she heard this fireman yell, little girl! Jump! She said, I can't. I'm I'm scared. I can't can't see anything. And and the little girl said, if you don't jump, little girl, you're going to die. Take the risk. Jump! See, it's bad enough to jump from ten stories, but but to jump to a place that you don't know, y'all, that is terrifying. And in the midst of that chaos and confusion and fear, she heard this other voice and said this, darling, sweetheart, jump! I'm right here to catch you. It was her daddy. See, she positioned herself to hear the father's voice because she knew that something amazing was about to happen. And she needed that touch. She smiled and she said, okay, I'll trust you. Here's the thing. Jesus Christ is inviting us to jump into his arms when the paths of life are uncertain and they are uncharted waters. You are entering, somebody is entering into uncharted waters. And I want you to know that if, you, if you've entered into a covenant with Christ through the cross, you understand his faithfulness. And I want to remind you today, you are talking, you are jumping, you are waiting, you are watching, you are following, your are Abba Daddy. So move into that place. You're talking to somebody that you know. Because you've seen what he can do. See, when God spoke Joshua to Joshua and, and provided these instructions... The instructions were kind of strange. The instructions said this. The Lord's going to stop the water of the Jordan from flowing so the people could cross. But only after the priest stepped into the river. Why not stop the water first? What, I mean, that would make more sense, right? Like, if you hold back the water, I'll step into it. God's not into that. Because then we're dependent on our own self-sufficiency. He's like, that's not what's going to happen because God wanted to see faith in action. He wanted to see proper position before He provided His power. See, the reason to get in proper position now is so that God can direct you through the uncharted waters of victory tomorrow. That's where identity flows in. You get in the right position now so that you can step into that unknown place tomorrow. I don't know what's happening tomorrow, but I want to make sure that I am properly positioned so that I can see God work in it and use it. Amen? So the the question is, what is the uncharted path that you're facing right now that has you freaking out? And have you properly positioned yourself to move into that place? Because if not, so scary. So yeah, the reason, there are reasons so He can direct us through uncharted paths. The last thing is this, that's the best. so that He can demonstrate His unstoppable power. See, don't you think for a minute God still doesn't do miraculous works when we properly position ourselves to receive it? Look at verse 17. The priest carrying the ark of the Lord's covenant stood firmly on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel crossed on dry ground until the entire nation had finished crossing the Jordan. These were millions of people crossing dry ground that was just covered in water. You would expect, the, you would expect that ground to be muddy, right? A mud hole. You know, you have a mud hole that dries up, there's still mud in it. This was dry ground. Verse 17 said dry ground twice. That's significant. Because God did something that only he could do. And when the people broke camp, they saw that not only was there not a river in the way, but it was no longer longer over covering its banks. The waters were as broad as they were deep. There was no hope of swimming across it. It was hopeless. See, if you're looking into your tomorrow thinking it's hopeless and you properly position yourself in the identity of Christ, you can be assured God is at your tomorrow ready to do something. Goodness gracious. And as soon as the priest stepped into the water, they were able to cross. This was no freak accident. This was an undeniable, miraculous work of God. And the purpose was clear. He's going to divide the waters to demonstrate to the Israelites that He was alive and so He could prepare them for the challenges ahead. Church, if you're not sure how the challenges of tomorrow are going to work out, there's your confirmation right there. What Christ has done on the cross gives us hope for tomorrow. It's the greatest demonstration of the mercy of God and His provisions and His promises for our tomorrow. And we properly position ourselves, we make a move toward God, we consecrate ourselves every day, we lay our lives at the mercy of the Lord. We can be, assur- we can be sure when, we, when tomorrow comes, He is already there waiting on us. So the question is. As we wrap up, the question on the table this morning is what's your position? What's your position? What's the area? What's the area that needs to move toward the things of God? In the house? Public? Private? With your children? Your marriage? With your work? What area needs to move into the place of God? But remember, there's a two part. Is there impurity? Is there a place of consecration? Is there something that is just not in alignment that needs to be in alignment? See, here's, I want you to remember this there's no growth without change. There's no change without loss. And there's no loss without pain. So if you want to experience victory, it's going to require some changes. Changes require a loss of something. And loss will require some pain in some areas. But when you position yourself and you consecrate yourself, the pain is temporary. But the hope of tomorrow is permanent. God, thank you for doing it. So back to victory. It's a powerful word. It means overcoming an enemy or an achievement of mastery in a struggle against the odds. So the question is, will you do what it takes to properly position your life for victory before we break camp? We're about to break camp. Right? I promise we're about to break camp. We're about to break camp. We're going to go out there. and We're going to make a difference. But before we break camp, the question is, are we positioned in our identity so that we can say like the Israelites said, the Lord God is ahead of me. So who who can stop me? Let's stand together. Joshua said to the people, Joshua said, hey, come closer to the Lord your God. And I think that's appropriate for our time of invitation. Come closer to the Lord your God before we break camp. As we enter into tomorrow. I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. But I know who holds tomorrow. And I know his mercy is new every morning. And he would love nothing more. Than for us together as a faith family. To come closer to the Lord your God. To position ourselves in victory. Purifying. Consecration. Getting things right here. So that we can make a difference. Out there. Because goodness knows. We need Him more than ever before. This world is a mess. and You know why it's a mess? Because people have stopped coming close to the Lord your God. Very simple. When God is your biggest problem, He is your only solution. And right now we're living in a nation that God is our biggest problem. In the, in the hearts and minds of many. You know what? We're going we're gonna to abandon the things of God and we're going to stop looking out ahead of us and we're going to start looking right here and now we're wondering why in the world we're entangled and we're entrapped and the enemy's having his way and stealing God's glory from our life. Y'all, it starts right here in this house, in your house, in your hearts. And so my prayer this morning is that we would be a faith family that breaks camp on mission because things are right in here. So Pastor Dom and our team is going to lead us. If God's calling you to make a change of position before you break camp today, this is a great place to do it. That's why we're here. To draw close to the Lord your God. You may say, Pastor, I can't break camp. I can't do anything for Christ because I don't have an identity in Christ. I know it, but, I, but I've never surrendered to it. This may be the day for you. This may be the day that you stop being entangled by uncertainty. And you know without a shadow of a doubt that you're a believer. You want to say, Pastor, this morning i want to give my life to Jesus. I want to apply the blood of the cross to my account. I want my name written in the Lamb of the life, never to be erased. And I want to follow the Lord in baptism. That's my position. That's, what, that's the change I need to move. But I don't know the hearts of everybody. But He does. And so if the Spirit of the living God is working in your heart, don't you break camp until you make business with him this morning and make it right, amen church